1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Sean Payton is doing an excellent job of generating interest and creating leverage. That was an item written yesterday by a certain hack who... Spews out I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten or more items per day. But that was one that occurred to me yesterday, Shereen, after I saw the news yeah. that the Cardinals had received permission to speak to Sean Payton. That was something I was told Saturday night. It surprised me when I heard it because it it accurately predicted that Arizona would have an opening. Now the Texans have also secured permission to to speak to Sean Payton. At the end of the day, you know, this is kind of like the Deshaun Watson trade scenario where the potential new employee, last year Watson, this year Payton, creating multiple opportunities, creating a sense of competition among various teams that want him. Scarcity mentality kicks in. You got three teams that want him. Well, they want him. I got to get him. And the more they want him, the more I feel like I have to get him and it just kind of builds and builds and builds and it makes for a better opportunity for Sean Payton. And at the end of the day, what's going to happen is he's going to pick one of these teams and there may be others who come to the table that he wants to coach. I I think there's already a loose understanding of what it's going to take to get him. And I don't think the saints are going to be unreasonable here. They're going to work with Payton. They're going to get fair compensation. And then Payton is going to go somewhere where he's going to get more than fair compensation from ownership and i think having the walmart conglomerate at the table guarantees he's going to get north of 20 million last year there was a report that the dolphins are going to pay him 100 million dollars i think on a four or five year deal he's going to get 20 to 25 million by the time it's all said and done or more from one of these teams and uh the first step is he's got to figure out which one he wants to work for but the presence of the others is going to allow him to squeeze even more out of whichever team it is that he picks
2: I think two, at least two of those three teams are going to be willing to pay the 20 to $25 million. And you mentioned, obviously, the Broncos and the tons of money that they have. And I think the Texans also would be willing to step up and pay that money. The Cardinals, maybe not. I mean, that would be out of their character to pay a coach 20 to $25 million a year. But, you know, that may be his best option. When you start breaking down what each of these teams offers, to me, the Cardinals may be the, your best option. Um, because they don't have a GM because you could be head of personnel there. Uh, now no coach has ever lasted more than six years as a head coach, but I don't know that Sean Payton would care about being there more than six years either. And you have Adrian Wilson and Quentin Harris in the front office who are rising stars who are up for interviews for a lot of these teams. And, you know, maybe you could work with them and, and be your own, uh, GM, sort of, the de facto GM, bring in Jeff Ireland, who he's long worked with to help him there. And I just think the Cardinals may be the best option. Are they going to be willing to pay the money? I don't know that, Mike. that's To me, that's the big question with the Cardinals. But obviously all three of them are willing to give up the draft picks because, as you said, they have an understanding of what the Saints are going to be looking for. Maybe not a done deal on what the Saints are going to be looking for, but they have a good idea, and they're obviously willing to give that up. And the Texans do have those two first-round draft picks, but you have the GM situations in Houston and Denver that, that would give me a little bit of a pause.
1: Peyton's ultimate hammer, if the Saints try to drive too hard of a bargain, is to say, fine, I'll show up tomorrow and re- resume coaching the Saints. Uh, that that That's his... That's his leverage if push comes to shove. But his relationship is so strong with Mickey Loomis that I think they'll work it out. They'll be cooperative. There they understand will. he's moved on, and anything they get is a bonus. As it relates to Arizona, I got a trivia question for you. Since you do know that no coach has lasted there longer than six years, who are the Uh-oh. two coaches that coached the Cardinals for six seasons? Do you know? Dun dun dun.
2: Dennis Gre- Dennis Green and Correa. And.
1: and Jim Hannafin and Ken Wisenhunt. Those are the two. Uh, I almost years. said Hannafin.
2: And I would not have guessed Wisenhunt.
1: What's amazing is I used to get the NFL record and fact book every year, and then it was a point where it yeah. was only me and Chris Mad Dog Russo who got the hard copy. Now I don't even ask for it anymore because I quit looking at it because everything that you need statistically you can find just you know by Googling it. But – I remember looking through, because I used to just flip through the thing. I was weird that way. And I looked at the Cardinals, who've been around forever, because it shows the list. There was a page that has a list of all the coaches. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And it's amazing. And I started counting it up one time. And it's like, has anybody even made it there more than five years? And that's when I saw Hannafin made it six. And I was very excited for Ken Wisen to eventually get to seven. Bruce Arians made it to five. Who knows how many Sean Payton would make it. But if they're going to pay him a lot of money and if they're going to give up a lot to get him, maybe he would at least make it to six in Arizona. Uh, Texans. I I got a question for you about the Texans because you understand the dynamics very well. Here's my theory on the Texans. I think this is uh, a situation where the Texans are using Payton and Payton is using the Texans. This is my this is my next level. It could be completely bat bleep crazy, but I want to I want to see what you think of it anyway. The Texans are using the ability to talk to Peyton to make them look less dysfunctional. Because if Sean Payton would even talk to them, Sean Peyton must, must have concluded that they are not a hopelessly dysfunctional mess, which will lay the foundation for a legitimate coaching hire that people can get behind, even if it's not Peyton. How does Peyton benefit? Well... At a time when Jerry Jones says there's no way that whatever happens on Monday night against the Buccaneers is going to keep him from moving on from Mike McCarthy, it's one thing to say that in a vacuum. It's another thing to say it when you're alternative to McCarthy, the guy you tried to hire four years ago, is potentially going to be down the road in Houston coaching the Texans and turning them into the team that he could turn the Cowboys into. Do you think that Jerry Jones would be swayed at all, given everything you know about him and the Cowboys, would he be swayed at all by the prospect of Sean Payton coaching the Texans? Would that spur him to try to get Payton before the Texans could?
2: I don't know if that would spur him to hire Sean Payton, but I tell you what, I I do think depending on, let's just say they lose on Monday night, I think it depends on how they lose that he could be looking at a head coaching change despite what he said. Because that'd be two years in a row they've lost in the wild card round. Despite Mike McCarthy doing something the Cowboys haven't done since the 1990s, which is winning back-to-back 12-win seasons, having 12-win seasons, um i still think it's just what we were talking about with quarterbacks mike it's getting over that hump if you can't get over the hump in the postseason what difference does a regular season make to me it makes no difference and how many years do you keep giving a coach or a quarterback over and over again if they can't get you over that hump and get you where you want to go and we know it's been 1995 since the cowboys have been to the championship game so i I do think they will consider if if they lose badly on Monday night, having lost to San Francisco last year at home, the only home playoff team to lose, I certainly think Jerry will, will give it consideration, and it depends on how they lose as well. But I've always said I thought Dan Quinn would be the next head coach, but what if they go out there again and stink it up on offense and Dak continues to do what Dak has done, which is throw interceptions – to me, then you've got to maybe consider an offensive guy or at least consider moving on from your offensive coordinator and figuring out something different. I mean, you've got to do something different. If you lose twice in a row being the favorite in the wild card round, to me you have to do a favor, uh, you have to do something different going forward. And maybe that is Sean Payton. I don't know. But I I agree with your premise that it does make the Texans look better and we do think of them differently if they talk to Sean Payton rather than talking to Josh McCowan and, and David Culley and uh, you know all these guys that they've talked to in the past, I do think it makes you look at them a little bit different as Sean Payton's willing to talk to them.
1: And look, I I, I firmly believe that if the Cowboys lose as a result of something that can be traced back to a coaching failure, again, because last year's fateful play, the quarterback draw that wasn't sufficiently planned by Mike McCarthy to account for the fact that the umpire had to teleport through the quarterback in the center to touch the ball and allow it to be spiked to give them one last shot at the end zone there's no guarantee they would have even been remotely close at scoring that touchdown but their supposedly well-planned opportunity was short-circuited by not accounting for the fact that the umpire had to get through Dak Prescott and the center to touch the ball that's a failure of coaching that's a lack of attention to detail and we know Sean Payton is very buttoned up on those details and um, I uh, th- this is the speak now or forever hold your peace moment. I think for Jerry Jones, if you're ever going to hire Sean Payton, yeah. it's in this cycle because it sure looks like he's going to find one of these teams. And hey, we're only four days into the off season. There are five vacancies. The Panthers and the Colts have yet to become connected to Sean Payton. Payton said on Fox Sunday that no team is off the table, including the Panthers. Who's to say there won't be another vacancy, Shereen? Who? I, Look, I, yeah. I feel very I – ba- I feel bad even broaching this subject. I talked about it yesterday. If the Chargers lose in ugly fashion, if they lose as a result of a coaching failure, some of the big names out there want that job. And surely ownership is aware of it. Now, now are you going to make the – the major payment if you're Dean Spanos, but boy, what an opportunity at a time when Sean McVay is slinking away from the Rams because they're looking at a multi-year rebuild. You could bring in a high-end coach to work with Justin Herbert and take over that market. Maybe money well spent if you're Dean Spanos and the LA Chargers, but uh Brandon Staley can end that talk conclusively. You know, he probably thought he ended it by getting to the playoffs. It's still there. If he wins on Saturday night on NBC with Al Michaels and Tony Dungy on the call, then then maybe it ends that talk once and for all. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, we're going to do a little wild card, super wild card, weekend preview with a segment called Take Your Pick. We'll do that next here on PMT. I
0: think it's really... Really what you make out of it, Jordan, is the experience probably is overrated, to be honest with you. Um, it's how you prepare, how you practice, and ultimately how you play the game and coach the game on whatever day it is. Um, you know, I've, <clears throat> I've been around a lot of different teams that had varying levels of experience. Some a lot, some a little, some you know, not much. I know someone mentioned Malcolm Butler. You know, I think really what matters is taking advantage of your opportunities when they come and playing a good football game and coaching a good football game. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I really think it's an overrated. It's an overrated thing.
1: Brian Dayball, coach of the New York Giants, on playoff experience being overrated. It's easy to say that when your team largely has none whatsoever first-year head coach quarterback who's never played a playoff game running back who's never played a playoff game one of the big differences though and it's helpful to have veterans in the locker room who can explain this to the other players Rodney Harrison has said this time and again as the regular season ends and the playoffs begin everything is more intense everything is just bigger everything is accentuated the pressure the physicality everything about it you got to be ready for that so Brian Dayball, who knows a thing or two about playoff football from his years as an assistant, he needs to get his players ready for that. It's not critical to have experience. Somebody's going to win the game, but if you've, you know, the the flip side is Tom Brady is going to be starting postseason game number forty-eight, and I would like to say there's value in knowing what you do in that setting, not being freaked out by it, not feeling like the moment's too big. That's the challenge ultimately, Shereen is making sure that that these quarterbacks, especially the ones that have never started a playoff game before, don't let the moment get too big for them.
2: God, we have so many guys starting their first playoff game, Mike. The the list is unbelievable, and it, it's probably, I would think, uh, the most that, that we've probably had in the wild card round of young guys. and We know the records of rookie quarterbacks, starting playoff games is not very good, and none have won a Super Bowl. We know that. So it is interesting because I do think experience plays a part, especially at the quarterback position once you get to the postseason. Um, but I'm with Brian Dayball that overall on your team, I don't know that that, that you necessarily need that as a team. He has 17 of his 53, 53 players who have playoff experience. Five have been to the Super Bowl. But I do think you need some of those guys on your team. We look at what Von Miller did for the Rams last year when he joined the team. He had won a Super Bowl with the Broncos. He knew what it took to get there. And I do think you need a player like that on your team who's been there, who's done it, who's won it, who could say, this is what we need to do. This is how we get here. This is how we act. This is how we practice. This is what we do during the week.
1: Yeah, and that leads us to our first topic of Take Your Pick, the quarterback making his first playoff start that you trust the most, and they are Brock Purdy, the PFT Offensive Rookie of the Year, Geno Smith, who may have been the comeback player of the year, but Shireen decided to go in a different direction because coming back from <laughs> sucking, as Shereen would say, is not sufficient Come back to win the award. Daniel Jones, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence. So five in all. Also, Skylar Thompson and Tyler Huntley. That takes it all the way. Good Lord. yeah, That's half the field half. for crying out loud. Okay, which one making his first start this weekend do you trust the most?
2: Well, I think you have to go with Brock Purdy, Mike, simply because he has the best team around him. The 49ers have won 10 in a row. He's never lost a game um, so I- I'm going with him for obvious reasons I just think he's played really well I think he has a chance to do something that no rookie quarterback has ever done um, and he ha- certainly has a chance to get to the championship game where the guy, the likes of Sanchez, Flacco Roethlisberger, Sean King Pat Hayden and Dieter Brock have gotten as rookies um, I-, I don't think there's any question that they'll be favored to-, to do that and maybe take that next step and get to the Super Bowl but Brock Purdy at to me is the easy answer, even though Geno Smith of that group is the pro bowler out of that group. Well, Justin Herbert, too. Um, but, but I'm going to say Brock Purdy simply because I like the team. I just think they're good.
1: I trust Brock Purdy if the machine runs the way it's supposed to. Now, if you get into a situation where you're down four points in the final two minutes and you got to get down the field and score – so you got to throw, throw, and throw. I don't know that I'd trust Purdy because I haven't seen him do it. I've seen Justin Herbert do it, even though the game didn't work out yeah. for them. Remember that last game of the regular season, 2021.
2: Justin Braavis. Herbert
1: converting yeah. all those fourth downs, yeah. kind of, kind of maturing before our eyes. I, I, I trust him because we've seen how he plays in the moments where the season is hanging in the balance. Even though the team around him didn't deliver, I trust him to deliver in those moments, and maybe he can elevate the Chargers to a victory over the Jaguars. That, that would be my thought.
2: The one, the one thing I worry about with him, though, Mike, is if he doesn't have Mike Williams, who hasn't practiced this week, just that receiving core not being quite at the level. Because we did see him struggle some this year when he didn't have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams
1: yeah absolutely and uh mike williams injured in that meaningless game against the broncos we'll see whether or not he's even available all right wildcard underdog you're most confident will pull off the upset and we know they happen good luck picking the ones that actually will occur but we've got some big underdogs and we've got the spread as small as the jaguars two-point home underdogs against the la chargers which underdog are you most confident will pull off the win
2: I went back and forth between the Jaguars and the Buccaneers, but I think I'm going to go with the Jags simply because they're at home. They've won five in a row. They killed the Chargers uh, on September 25th. So I think I'm going, to, I'm going to lean toward the Jaguars over the Buccaneers, even though they're also at home. But I think both of those teams, of all the teams in the postseason, I think those two teams have the best shot at pulling off the first-round upset.
1: I neglected to mention the Buccaneers are also two-and-a-half point home underdogs. I'll take the Buccaneers. I think the Buccaneers are winning that game. I would give two-and-a-half points. I think on grass, a point that Jason Garrett has made about the Cowboys, they don't perform as well on grass. This is Tom Brady's 48th playoff game. The Cowboys have not looked great lately, and they can talk about And it's the the Cowboys are very good at coming up with an excuse or a justification or glass half full for whatever it is that happens. Fine. Go beat Tom Brady on his own field in what could be his last game with the Buccaneers if he doesn't win. And very well will be his last game in that stadium, even if they do win. I don't see it happening for the Cowboys on Monday night. So there are three games I feel pretty good about picking out of the six on Super Wild Card Weekend. I just need to figure out who I like in the other three, but I definitely like, well, you know what? I'm up to four. I like the 49ers. I like the bucks. I like the bills and uh, I like the Bengals. So I just have to make some tough decisions on a handful. Best possible Super Bowl matchup as we enter this 14 team playoff field. Shereen, what's your pick?
2: Well, Mike, you know, before the season, we always make our preseason predictions and I picked as did Josh Alper, the only two people who picked it in the Eagles, Bills, Super Bowl. So, of course, I would have bragging rights along with Josh for the rest of the year. So that's the only reason I'm Nobody looking cares. forward to that. I, Nobody cares. <laughs> I care. Nobody and cares we'll about your fantasy team year.
1: or your preseason predictions. Yes.
2: But you know you know what, Mike? I, I would the be Chiefs. happy with any. I would well, I'd be happy with any of those three AFC teams, the Chiefs, uh, the Bills and the Bengals any of those I would be extremely happy with and I'm looking forward to as we talked about earlier that Bills Bengals matchup that we all anticipate as well as the AFC championship game I look forward to that whichever one of those teams gets there we anticipate that being against the Chiefs so that to me any of those three teams with those three quarterbacks I would be excited about
1: I picked the Chiefs to win it all And they're still very much alive, obviously. The only problem is I picked them to beat the Packers in the Super Bowl and to beat the Colts in the AFC Championship. So forget about those two matchups. But uh, I think the best would be the annual Chris Berman prediction from I think pretty much every year of the 90s. He picked Bill's 49ers every year as his preseason Super Bowl prediction thinking it was inevitable they'd cross paths and they never did. I think Bill's 49ers would be a great matchup, although a Bill's Vikings rematch would be something. I just have a feeling it wouldn't go like the last one did. I think this would be 65-7. to You know, what's waiting for the Vikings eventually and inevitably is the kind of ass-kicking they took against the Cowboys, the Packers, and to a lesser extent, the Lions. It was a closer game, but it still felt like they got their butt kicked all over the place, and the Eagles. I just feel like at some point, wildcard divisional, conference championship, Super Bowl, there's going to be a massive blowout of the Vikings and fittingly they were purple just like TCU does and we saw what happened to them on Monday night all right let's go ahead and take a break when we return the 49ers and the Seahawks meet for a third time you love it meet for a third time this season will the Seahawks finally get a victory over their arch rivals we'll get you ready for that game next year on PFT Live Quaker has been a trusted name in breakfast for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, and the ballpoint pen. And while a lot of things have changed since then, some things have stayed the same, like the great taste and quality of Quaker Oats. Quaker has something for everyone, like old-fashioned and quick oats, great for cooking and baking, or instant oatmeal in different flavors and varieties, whether it's lower sugar or added protein or fiber, Quaker Oats can satisfy the whole family. There's even quaker fruit fusion with real fruit pieces added vitamins and no artificial colors for a bold start to a bold morning quaker getting up to some good since 1877 look for quaker oats in your local grocery store
0: around any corner within every battle and with the dawn of each new day the threat of the unexpected the unpredictable and the unrelenting lies in wait But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 Our philosophy really is what it is. That's about competing. And yeah, we're faced with some challenges, but all we see is what, what's going to go the right way. What's going to happen for us? We look at this just like every other year. We're trying to build the championship freaking football team right now. There's no future. We'll do it somewhere down the road. We don't think like that. We've never thought like that. and We're not going to think like that now. So in, in what I'm sharing with you, that's who we are.
1: Pete Carroll, a little hype video there for the Seattle Seahawks as they get ready to do something few expected them to do entering the season. They made it to the playoffs. And they also enjoy the fact that the Broncos and quarterback Russell Wilson were among the worst teams in the NFL, especially since the Seahawks hold Denver's first-round pick. Here we go, though. Round three. The Seahawks have not fared well against the 49ers this year. They are nine and a half point underdogs. It's moved a little bit in Seattle's direction. It was 10 at one point. I I think the formula is simple. Executing it, Shireen, is a different story. But the Seahawks need to sell out and stop the run and force Brock Purdy to beat them. Let's see if Brock Purdy can step up in the moment. And if he does, oh well, it was fun while it lasted. If he doesn't, That's the only way the Seahawks have a chance to get past the 49ers and pull off what would be a tremendous upset if the Seahawks can swing it.
2: Well, one of us, uh, like last year, you picked the Bengals not to make the postseason. I picked the Seahawks not to make the postseason. I thought they'd be, I think I said, one of the worst teams in the NFL this season. That of course did not happen thanks to Pro Bowler Geno Smith, who in his 10th year will make his first playoff start. So they've already Come exceeded obviously my expectation. <laughs> I, I think, Mike, what this says to me, and you've always pointed out, and you, and you did it when we were having this conversation about the Seahawks, is, It's coaching and how important coaching is. And I think we go back to Sean Payton and maybe Jim Harbaugh as these teams are looking at coaches. Like, what do you give up in draft pick compensation and money? How valuable is that coach? And I think you see it with Pete Carroll. I think you see how important coaching is to get you to the postseason with Geno Smith as your as your quarterback, with a team of lesser talent, with some young guys like Kenneth Walker, Uh, contributing for you and big contributors for you. Tariq Woolen is another one who's really contributed for them. But I I do think coaching is so important, especially to get you to the postseason. But then once you are in the postseason, it is very, very, very valuable. And so I credit Pete Carroll with what he was able to do with this roster this season And regardless, in my mind, whatever they do against the 49ers, I think they've had a great season, and I think it's a step in the right direction. And then I think the question becomes, do you draft a quarterback with that high pick?
1: This is a house money game for the Seattle Seahawks, and it is the ultimate in no pressure no expectation, and I say this all the time. This goes back to, I think the light first flickered for me. It probably did a long time ago, but at least in the age of of writing about, talking about, thinking about football all the time, it was the Cabo game. The Cowboys is the one seed in 2007. Yeah. The Giants roll into town in the divisional round and beat them. You don't want to face a divisional opponent in the playoffs at any time, especially at home. The pressure's on you. They come in there every year. They're not intimidated by it. I remember back in 94 when the Vikings made the playoffs and the Bears came to town as the wild card and kicked the crap out of the Vikings, even though if I recall correctly, and there's a chance I don't, the Vikings had swept the Bears that year. So you just don't want that. And we've seen it time and again. They say it's hard to beat a team three times in the same year. Well, those first two games don't matter. What matters is the playoffs. And the first two games are pretty damn instructive on how much better one team is than the other but in 60 minutes of football on one afternoon with everything riding on it. That's the challenge. 49ers had a special season. That special season is going to be put on the line on Saturday against a team that gives no Fs about it and would love. It's just like what happened Sunday night. The Lions went in and derailed the Packers' playoff chance, and they loved it. The Seahawks would love nothing more because they know they're not making it to the Super Bowl. They'd love nothing more than to derail the 49ers. That's the icing on the cake. That's another team like the Lions that will be happy with the outcome of the season, even if they don't win the Super Bowl, if the Seahawks can pull off this victory. I don't think they physically are capable of doing it from a talent standpoint, but coaching matters, as you said. And if they can slow down the run just enough to make Brock Purdy have to win the game, that's where they're going to have an opportunity to maybe keep it close and who knows, maybe get lucky and steal it. What, what a lightning bolt that would be because that's the first game of the super wild card round. And if the Seahawks would take them out, holy crap. And you know what else it does? My son and I have been debating this because he doesn't want me to think about any future matchups for the Vikings. He just wants to worry about the Vikings beating the Giants. He's all in, but he's nervous about the Giants. That's, all, that's what the only focus should be. Don't talk about any other games. I'll tell you this. If the Seahawks would do the unthinkable and knock off the 49ers, that gives the Vikings a different vibe. Because then the Vikings aren't looking at, okay, if we beat the Giants, what happens next? Oh, God, we go back to Levi Stadium and get stomped by the 49ers. No, thank you. No, the difference is, oh, wait a minute. Now we got two home games, not one. Now, different vibe now it would probably be Tom Brady coming to town or the Cowboys good luck with that but still it's it's different than this this uh this tall task of going back to San Francisco and having what happened three years ago so it's just it's it's a great game to have right out of the gates and yes it's easy to say the 49ers are the better team and they are but that doesn't mean the Seahawks have no chance to win I'd put it at about 20 percent. and you know what if I'm picking up one out of five cards I don't feel that bad about my shot at picking up that that the right card. I think one in one in five is is manageable. And maybe the Seahawks do get lucky, Shereen.
2: Well, my I meant to look this up, but every I meant to ask the NFL this question. Every single matchup we have this weekend, these teams played in the regular season. Some of them are division opponents, as this game is, and and others are are just they played in the regular season. So it's pretty interesting that all these teams have have played in the regular season so they'll be uh they won't be new matchups for for this year but the the Seahawks have struggled against the forty in the two games their their big players have struggled Geno Smith in the two games against the 49ers one touchdown one interception and two, took five sacks the only touchdown they scored in those two games offensive touchdown they scored in those two games came late in the fourth quarter uh, of that second game so last month so They have struggled against the 49ers, but when you have a team like that, Mike, that has this knowledge that they struggled against the 49ers in two games this year, they're going to be loose, and they are going to be aggressive, and they're going to do things that you wouldn't normally probably see a playoff team do. They're probably going to go for it some on on fourth down, maybe more than they otherwise would, in different positions on the field than they otherwise would, and you're probably going to see some trick plays. They know it's going to take something special to win. They can't just go out. And, and play their normal game and expect to win the 49ers. So I think you're going to see some things from the Seahawks team, Mike, that we haven't seen all year.
1: And, you know, I, I was having that conversation with someone recently, and I can't remember who or when or where, but that that weird little hook and lateral play that we saw from the Lions, that what the hell was that? Like, do they do that if they're awesome. playing for a playoff spot, right? They were playing nothing to lose, and that's the thing. Nothing to lose and willing to go for it on fourth down and pull out all the stops and really put the pressure on the other team. We've seen it. We've seen the better team lose these playoff games when we least expect it, and it could be dangerous for the San Francisco 49ers. All right, Saturday night on NBC, Chargers at the Jaguars. Again, the Chargers two-point favorites, Jaguars underdogs at home. Back in week three, the Jaguars beat the Chargers 38-10. to Here's Doug Peterson talking about whether and to what extent that win has any meaning when the rematch rolls around three months later.
0: I mean, that's a long time ago. I mean, you know, there's some new faces on their side. There's some new faces on our side and, you know, schematically probably both the same, you know, with us and with them. And, and really, again, we've talked about it a lot. I mean, you're not going to you're not going to trick anybody. It just comes down to execution. You know, both sides, uh, them, 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 and us. You know, I think you go back and you watch it, and and you see, um, you know, from a just from an X's and O's standpoint, you know, and, and personnel standpoint, kind of how how we attack them, how they attacked us. You know, both sides of the ball and special teams, and then you kind of look at the whole body of work since you know, and and if there's anything that's changed and why it changed, and. Um, you know, and then you, you put your game plan together, you know, that way. And according to that, and, um, you know, this is a good football team. Um, you know, they got a great young quarterback as well. And, and uh, you know, um, just uh, I know they'll be, they'll be ready to go. They're looking forward to this opportunity just like we are.
1: You know, one of the realities of all of these games being continuations of regular season games, it, it does raise the stakes when it comes to breaking down the film of round one or round two, as the case may be, and understanding what happened. It's almost like a continuation after an extended halftime. What did they do to us? What did we do to them? What worked? What didn't work? Where do we change? Do we zig where they zag? How do we make it all work? How do we make it all happen? It's fascinating, frankly, as to what could happen this time around. Even though we're looking at an extended period of time between games, the film is the film. And as Peterson said, you know, what they did is what they did. What we did is what we did. And and that's the foundation for crafting the game plans for the rematch. I, I think it does create wrinkles and issues. And 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 I also think the team that won it so easily the first time around, there, there is a, a different – it's like, you know, if if it doesn't start off that way, if it doesn't go as easily – It's just a different vibe and uh, different challenges and adversities to overcome for the team that won so easily the first time around if it's not so easy the second time around.
2: I'll tell you one thing that worries me about the, char- about the uh, Jaguars, Mike, is Trevor Lawrence has not played well in the last three games. This is a team over the last three games that's averaging 17.7 points a game. And you go back to the fourth quarter of that game against the Titans, Josh Allen saved them with that fumble return. They had 222 total yards, minus one yards in the fourth quarter. So despite the 6-1 and one run that they're on right now, I do think that's a little bit of a concern for them. Uh, And they've got to figure out offensively really how to get this thing going because we just talked about you can win some of these games in the regular season without your quarterback playing really well. I don't think you can win these games in the postseason if your quarterback isn't playing really well. He's going to have to make some plays. These games are too tight, too close. You talked about being down four late in the fourth quarter. Jaguars are going to be in that situation, and Trevor Lawrence is going to have to make some plays. And if he doesn't, they're not going to win. And if he does, they probably are going to win. It's the same on the other side with Justin Herbert. But I think Justin Herbert is playing far better right now than Trevor Lawrence is
1: couple of NFC games to discuss that we haven't really delved into yet, including a rematch from a Christmas Eve whiteout in Minnesota that was won with a 61-yard field goal. Will the Giants take full advantage of their opportunity and a little revenge? We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. That was something. Christmas Eve, 61-yarder at the buzzer for Greg Joseph to win the game. They otherwise were headed to overtime. Back and forth, exciting game. Vikings up 10-0, blew the lead, fell behind, came from behind in the fourth quarter like they always do. One of the 11 one-score games that they were involved in and that they won in 2022. This time around, the Vikings are three-point favorites. And there's a lot of people think the Giants are going to win. A lot of people, and it's not a shock because the Vikings have that yeah. that that whiff of fraud. And there's no time better to expose fraud than in the playoffs. And and also with that dynamic of the the ass kicking is coming. I, I I don't know. I don't know. I I I still think the Viking Vikings find a way to win. Although I do believe the ass kicking is coming, but the Giants already proved that that even without any big-name receivers to speak of because the Vikings don't have a great secondary, so it doesn't matter. But they, they, they can get it done. They can move the ball, and they can slow the Vikings' offense down just enough to keep things close and keep things interesting. And I think they'll do it again on Sunday afternoon.
2: And if it comes down to a close game, Mike, I'm certainly putting my money on the Vikings considering how they've done Coming back in games and winning close games and all the things that they've done uh, in that area this year, and I think that's going to bode well for them in this game because I do think it's going to be a close game and come down the end. And they're, you know, they they face that all year long. So I do think there's something to be said for that. Now, Kirk Cousins would go back to how long do you stick with your quarterback if he doesn't get it done? One and three in the postseason. So to me, a lot of pressure on Kirk Cousins. In this game, to prove that he can win in the postseason and get it done, and I don't mean just this game. If you win one game at home, but I mean the Vikings feel like they're good enough uh, to go to the Super Bowl. So it's time for him to get this thing done, Mike. And a lot of pressure, I think, on on him this season, this postseason.
1: Oh, absolutely! Absolutely, I mean this is his first home playoff game in five years with the Vikings. They've only made it to the postseason one other year. They won in New Orleans somehow in the wild card round in 2019, and then were destroyed. Although it was close, funny. I like the graphic. It was close in the first half. It got away from the Vikings in the second half when the 49ers switched to exclusive run game. But hey, this this is about what Cousins is inevitably going to be remembered as. Good, but you know, not great. Good enough. But not great enough, and this is that Joe Burrow mindset. I, I don't know what what buttons need to be pressed on Kirk Cousins to just let him rip. But whatever that that thinking is that gets him to just throw the ball up to Justin Jefferson, even if he's not open, and just trust Jefferson to make a play. That that's what's going to come down to, and it's going to be Jefferson. You know, in that in that game where the Vikings won it with the sixty-one yard field goal, Justin Jefferson made the key play. It was third and very long, yeah. a quick little screen. And he just willed his way into the fringe of field goal range. If the Vikings are going to win this game, yes, Kirk Cousins needs to deliver, but they also need to get a big day out of Justin Jefferson. He's their key player offensively, and he's the guy that's going to make Kirk Cousins look a lot better if he's having a big day, Shereen.
2: Well, 12 catches, 133 yards, and a touchdown the last time. And Fabian Moreau and and Darnay Holmes were just completely overmatched. So the— Giants are going to have to do something different with him now Xavier McKinney didn't play in that game so he's probably going to help when he comes back this week so that'll be a little bit different but he absolutely torched them as he did many teams this season but they have to figure out and I think that will help the Giants having played Justin Jefferson early this season to figure out that we can't do the same thing we did last time we have to play him differently so I do think from that respect it does help them in figuring out how to stop them it's still not going to be easy but they have to do something different than what they did the last time
1: one of the things that flowed from the Vikings most recent loss the 41-17 defeat at Lambeau Field the idea that that they need to remain committed to moving Justin Jefferson around because one of the issues in that game, they didn't move him around. And that was the whole idea of the Kevin O'Connell offense, like Cooper Cup, move him around, create opportunities for him to get open by not having him in the same place all the time. So at some point in this postseason, the Vikings are going to need that from Justin Jefferson and from the offense, and they may need it as soon as Sunday. Monday night, the second annual Monday Night Football Super Wild Card game Cowboys bucks this time around again the Cowboys are favorite I still don't know why how concerned are you Shereen by the fact that the Cowboys looked so bad in a game that that they didn't know was meaningless they went into that game thinking we still have a chance of being the one seed they looked awful in that game losing 26 to 6 to the Commanders
2: They looked disinterested, Mike, like they didn't want to be there. And maybe that was the mindset of, well, the Eagles are going to win anyway. Jalen Hurts is back, and you can't go onto the field thinking things like that. You go onto the field thinking, you know, we're going to win this game, and we're going to do what we have to do. But they look terrible, and it's probably their worst performance of the season. They didn't play very well at home against the Texans either. There's a couple concerning games in there, but to end the season on that, to me – Uh, leaves you completely concerned going into Tampa a team they lost in week one to Tom Brady and we know his record 35 and 12 in the postseason and the last 11 postseasons Mike Tom Brady has played only once has he been one and done and of course that was his final season in New England when they lost to the Titans and that came right down to the end as well so Yeah, I think the Cowboys right now, I'm not going to be at all surprised if they go in there and lose and are one and done. Not at all.
1: Brady made the comment this week. He thinks that the Buccaneers will be as healthy as they've been all season on Monday night. And, look, there, there have been a couple of occasions this year when the Buccaneers were in prime time. Thursday night game against the Ravens and the Monday night game against the Saints. Down in the fourth quarter by multiple scores, there's an, an urgency, there's a vibe, there's just something that comes over Brady that feels like the clock physically turns back five, seven, ten years. And you know the no-huddle offense when they need it is so effective. You can't use it all game long because it would put way too much pressure on your defense if you have quick drives, uh, whether the drives result in a touchdown or whether they're three and out. Your defense is back on the field way too soon. But, boy, late in the game, they can kick that in. And Tom Brady looks like the guy he's always been. And and I know that for long stretches of a game, he will look like not the guy that he's always been. But I, I, I can't, I can't, I cannot. I don't care that he's 45. I don't care that at times he's been ordinary. He's got himself, Shireen, in a spot where everything they want is in front of them. And, oh, by the way. Oh by the way, when they won the Super Bowl, they were the five seed. This year, they're the four seed, and they're healthy. And everyone, you know, he's tried that that crap before. No one believes in us. I remember when they beat the Chargers the last year; they won the Super Bowl in the <laughs> divisional round. He said to Tracy Wilson on the field, "Nobody believed in us." I mean, bullcrap, Tom. Everybody believed yeah. in you. Where are you getting that from? Well, this year. He can say nobody believes in us, and he needs to look no farther than the fact that his team is a two-and-a-half-point underdog at home against a team they beat 19-3 to three in Week 1. We need to take a break. When we return, we're going to draft the most important non-quarterbacks heading into Super Wild Card Round. We'll do that next year on PFT Live. Here's a look at the Super Wild Card Weekend on NBC. Two games, Saturday night and Sunday night. It begins with Chargers at Jaguars, and it concludes with the rematch of Ravens-Bengals. Coverage begins both nights at 7.30 p.m. Eastern with Football Night in America on NBC and Peacock. All right, let's draft the most important non-quarterback, Shireen, in the Wild Card Round. Non-quarterbacks can be anybody but the quarterbacks. You get the first pick. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Did you notice that graphic who the Ravens player was, Mike? Justin Tucker. How about Justin Tucker? Wait, he might be their m- most important player. Well, Is that well, Justin Tucker?
1: Well, Mark, no, An- that's- Mark Andrews may disagree.
2: That's Mark Andrews, Yeah, Mark Andrews, Andrews may disagree but with Justin, that.
1: Yeah, all right.
2: J- Justin Tucker may be their most important player. That's why we're just laughing at that. That went up. A- she did a quick look. I thought it was Justin Tucker. I'm like, that's pretty, pretty good. Of course, it's not going to be their quarterback, but I'm going to go with Micah Parsons because the Cowboys had only six sacks in their final five games. Mike, we know that Buccaneers offensive line is not very good in Micah Parsons last six games. He had one point five sacks, six quarterback hits. He was not as good late in the season as he was early in midseason week one against the Bucs. He was dominant. Two sacks, two quarterback hits. It's the only game this season he played 100% of the snaps, but I think he is the most important player on that defense, and he's going to decide whether uh, Tom Brady has enough time to sit in the pocket. And if he does, because that Cowboys secondary is so depleted, Tom Brady is going to hit Mike Evans over and over and over again. It's going to be a repeat of two weeks ago when Mike Evans had 200 yards receiving.
1: I'm going with Christian McCaffrey, of the San Francisco 49ers, because that running game needs to click. It needs to fire on all cylinders to keep the pressure off of Brock Purdy and let him just go out and be the guy that runs the offense, not be the guy that has to, for example, lead an 80-yard drive with two and a half minutes left and a four-point deficit for the 49ers. McCaffrey has been great for them. It was a huge risk to give up a second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round pick, but... He has played better and better, and uh, the 49ers make easy work of the Seahawks if he has a big game. If he doesn't, the Seahawks may make that game interesting, Shereen.
2: Yeah, they sure might, Mike, and he is the key to them, which is why he was our comeback player of the year. A guy for this on the other side of the ball for the Seahawks who needs to get it done is d k Metcalf last two games, four catches forty three yards he didn 't score in his last four regular season games. And he struggled against the 49ers in the two games this season. Four catches for 35 yards, seven catches for 55 yards. They need him to have a really big game, Mike, to have a chance to keep up with that 49ers offense. If Christian McCaffrey's going to have a big game, I think DK Metcalf has to have a big game. You know, we
1: talked about Justin Jefferson already, and I think it goes without saying he's critical to anything the Vikings do in any game. I'm going to stay with that game, though, and I'm going to talk about Saquon Barkley. He had the touchdown that yeah. tied the game with the two-point conversion. I believe it took a two-point conversion to tie it late uh, on Christmas Eve. And you could just tell he had he had a, a vibe. He had an attitude. He had a belief. And I think that that tangible contribution on the field, the intangible sideline presence, lifting the team, getting the team to believe that it can pull off the victory – and and Saquon Barkley playing still for a second contract, I think he becomes a critical piece to any hope the Giants may have to upsetting the Vikings and advancing to the divisional round. We're going to advance to the final segment of the program. We'll do round three of our draft of the most important non-quarterbacks in the super Wild Card round. And PFT Live concludes right after this. All right, there are the selections so far, the most important non-quarterbacks in the wild card round. We each have one selection left. Shereen, who do you have?
2: Well, I'm going to go with the offensive line, and that's Bengals' uh, right guard, Max Sharping. And the reason is, Mike, you remember last season in the postseason, Joe Burrow, 19 sacks in four postseason games, nine against the Titans, seven against the Rams in the Super Bowl. And we all said... And they said, we've got to rebuild that offensive line. They did that in the offseason, and they had it for 15 games. And then Lyle Collins, the right tackle, goes out a couple games ago with a torn ACL. And now they won't have Alex Kappa, who remains on a little scooter and in a boot. So he's not going to play this week. So it's going to be up to Max Sharping, who's only played 30 snaps this season. But he did have 33 starts past three seasons with Houston. But to me, he's going to be the key guy for them uh, this week and probably for the rest of the playoffs if Kappa can't come back.
1: That's a great call. And, uh, look, whenever you've got an injury at a key spot, somebody's got to step up. So even though I don't expect the Dolphins to win the game, if the Dolphins are going to have any chance to pull off one of the biggest upsets ever, it will be with the heroics of a player who has beaten the Bills – each of the last two years in the postseason. Tyreek Hill needs to have a big game. Tyreek Hill needs to run past guys. And Mike McDaniel needs to design that offense so Skylar Thompson can get the ball in Tyreek Hill's hands. If they're going to have any shot, it's going to be Tyreek Hill running rings around the Bills defense and scoring touchdowns and putting pressure on the Bills to not screw up, to not blow what should be an easy win for them. Tyreek Hill again, I don't I don't think it's even enough if he has a huge game, but he knows what playoff football is about. He knows what it takes to beat the Bills. He doesn't have Patrick Mahomes but he still has a high degree of skill, and I think it makes him a critical component of any chance the Dolphins have to win this game. I still don't think they have much of a chance, but if they win the game, Shereen, it's going to be because Tyree Kill went off and then some.
2: Oh, absolutely, Mike. And they put him back on a punt return uh, last week, so he can do that part of the game, too. So if he has a big game, I think they've got a chance to stick with them. and I don't think they have much of a chance. But they need to get that through Skylar Thompson's head this, this week. Throw it up to those two receivers, Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, and let them make plays, Mike, because they can make plays, and that is your only way that you're going to keep up with the Bills.
1: And and who knows? That's the thing. When we get to Monday, I doubt that we will be talking about five favorites winning. Of course, Monday night will be the last of the six games. When we get to Tuesday, I don't think we'll be talking about six favorites winning. I already believe the Bucks are going to win. I think that there will be some unpredictability. There will be something crazy that happens. There always is. And that's why we love the playoffs. And that's why we love talking about it. And Shireen, thanks again for getting up early. We'll see you back here tomorrow with two more hours of PFT Live to wrap up the week before the Super Wild Card Round. Have a great day. Caesars
0: Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards.